Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, and welcome to the Airboss of America Q3 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode, and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Gren Schock, Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Airbus Q3 results conference call. My name is Grant Schock. I'm the chairman and CEO of Airbus. With me, with me here today are Chris Bitsakakis, president and COO, Frank Antilli, our CFO, and Chris Miguel, executive VP and general counsel. In terms of an agenda, we'll take a few minutes to review some of the operational highlights for the quarter and briefly review our financial results before opening the call to presence. The two questions. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that today's remarks, including management's outlook for 2020 and beyond, anticipated financial and operating results, our plans, objectives, and our answers to your questions will contain forward-looking information within the meaning of the applicable securities laws. This forward-looking information represents our expectations as of today and accordingly is subject to change. Such information is based on current assumptions that may not materialize and is subject to a number of important risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially and listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on this forward-looking information. A description of the risks that may affect future results is contained in Airbus's AIF and MDNA, which is available on our corporate website and in our filings with the Canadian Securities Administrators on CDAR at www.cedar.com. With that, I will now turn the call over to Chris for the operational review. Chris? Thank you, Gren, and good morning, everyone. Uh, it would be remiss of me not to take a few minutes before we start our update to pay respect to the countless men and women throughout the ages that put their lives on the line, with many of them paying the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we enjoy today. Their sacrifices have laid the foundation for the society we live in, and for that we are forever indebted. We are particularly humbled by the role that Airbus plays in keeping our soldiers safe. Our survivability product platform is something that we take great pride in and feel an incredible responsibility in our role in keeping our soldiers safe. Whether it's our chem bioprotective equipment, our world-class gas mask, or our Husky vehicle, which has encountered over 8,000 blasts without ever losing a soldier, we make the survivability of our military personnel a critical part of our everyday business. This responsibility is not only felt by our senior leadership, but with every employee at Airbus. During the pandemic, when we utilized our military survivability DNA to ramp up production of PAPRs to protect our frontline responders, we had hundreds of Airbus employees across four different facilities come in every day during a pandemic to produce 100,000 PAPRs in 100 days for the U.S. federal emergency response. We are respectful of the sacrifices paid by our service personnel every day, and we are also very proud of our employees who every day offer their small level of sacrifice to keep our military, our first responders, and healthcare workers safe from threats. As most organizations plan for a moment of silence today at 11.11, we will plan for our moment of silence then, and with that, we will now begin our Q3 update. As was communicated yesterday in our press release, we had a second straight quarter of record financial performance driven by the impressive execution of the Airbus Defense Group in the manufacturing and on-time delivery of its proprietary respirator systems to governmental and non-governmental organizations battling the COVID-19 pandemic on the front lines as well as increasing strategic stockpiles. This tremendous performance by ADG was combined with a sequential improvement in much of the rest of the business. Before I get into details, I'd like to just note a few highlights from the quarter. Revenues more than doubled year over year to 163 million in Q3, 
driven by the creation of ADG and consolidation of CSI at the beginning of this year and the subsequent critical role it has played during the pandemic, offsetting natural softness in our other businesses due to the pandemic. EBITDA grew sixfold to 37 million, with margins expanding, driven by our production efficiency at scale. We delivered strong returns for shareholders and partners with return on equity and return on capital employed at about 24% and 26% respectively, and return on invested capital of 19%. Free cash flow was 14 million in the quarter or 57 cents per diluted share, and we have generated 38 million in free cash flow this year, bolstering our cash balance enormously. We reduced our net leverage to 0.25 times LTM EBITDA, 1.6 turns less than the beginning of the year, and this has been reduced further subsequent to the quarter end. These record results have put us in a strong financial position entering 2021 and have given us the ability to be aggressive with opportunities that present themselves. We took advantage of this position of strength just recently as we endeavored to acquire the minority ownership in ADG that we did not already own. As a brief background on ADG, this entity was formed at the beginning of 2020 with the aim of combining Airbus's class-leading CBRN protective solutions, including our respiratory systems for frontline workers, supported by our agile manufacturing capabilities and supply chain management, with the defense products, marketing strength, and strong relationships with governments and militaries around the world of Critical Solutions International. The opportunity to take advantage of the cross-sell was an obvious strategic rationale, although we could not have anticipated how quickly it would be validated. So far this year, ADG has been a domestic leader in the battle against COVID, and Airbus as a whole, across various locations, has assisted in this effort as we have ramped up our domestic manufacturing capacity to deliver on hundreds of millions of dollars of orders for personal protective equipment that are designed to keep safe the hospital workers and first responders on the front lines working to save lives. In late July, ADG completed on time and on contract its $96 million FEMA contract awarded at the end of the first quarter for 100,000 respirator systems or PAPRs and 3 million related filters in only 100 days. The people across our company mobilized quickly and by the end of the contract, we were manufacturing approximately 10,000 PAPRs and 100,000 filters per week across four of our US facilities, including our engineered products facility in Auburn Hills, Michigan. The flawless execution of this contract was succeeded by a $121 million award from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, for 50,000 PAPRs and 600,000 filters for the national strategic stockpile. We commenced delivering on this contract in Q3 and expect to complete it by Q2 of 2021, with no concern of any contract reduction or cancellation as the PAPR units themselves have already been produced and will all be delivered this month while we focus production on the filters and other peripherals going into Q1 and Q2 of next year. These contracts were provided with no premium in our pricing, but their sheer scale has driven significant efficiency gains, resulting in improvement in ADG's EBITDA margins. Separately, near the end of Q2, ADG was awarded a two-year extension to its Husky long-term contract awarded in March 2017. The anticipated volumes of Husky 2G support equipment to be procured until September 2022 are approximately 36 million. And in early Q4, it received multiple orders worth 22 million over two years for products across its survivability platform, including ground penetrating radar and its new rollover detection warning system, protective wearables and equipment, including more PAPRs. As it relates to PAPRs, we are continuing to reach out to end users in an effort to increase usage. This is for two reasons. One, PAPRs are long-term, more cost-effective, offer better protection, and are manufactured domestically, whereas almost the entirety of the less effective N95 masks are manufactured overseas. Use of the Airbus PAPR system can become standard operating procedure for all infectious disease control in hospitals, unrelated to the ongoing pandemic, as opposed to less efficient PPE currently in use. Secondly, there is a potentially significant recurring revenue portion tied to those systems through the ordering of replacement filters and hoods, I, in the, for example, the Razor razor blade model, for the systems that are being actively used and for which peripherals such as filters are replaced on schedule. Currently, although many of the FEMA PAPRs have been fielded and are in full use, 
Some of the systems are in earlier stages of deployment, but it's early days and we are scaling up our efforts to promote their benefits and availability for potential end users in hospitals and clinics as we look to take advantage of our install base to drive a recurring revenue channel for future years to come. As it relates to our contract pipeline, obviously the FEMA and HHS contracts stand out in scale from the organic aspect of the business. However, excluding these COVID contracts, we are going into 2021 with a significantly deeper pipeline of newly awarded and highly probable base business that we did going into 2020. That, of course, may be complemented with further PPE orders. We expect to benefit from a more streamlined and coordinated approach to emergency preparedness planning in future years by agencies looking to shorten acquisition times and build additional strategic stockpiles prior to the next urgent event. Furthermore, there are numerous other markets that we are beginning to tap and are ramping up our online availability and marketing of our PPE for various medical personnel, including those who have not typically purchased such PPE in the past, such as dentists and other health professionals who come in close contact with patients. Additionally, we continue to target traditional defense contracts, potentially valued at hundreds of millions of dollars globally over the next several years for our broader portfolio of survivability solutions, including our low burden masks, blast gauge wearable sensors, bandolier line, charge, line charges, the first commercial sale of which took place in April to the Netherlands, with an expectation that other NATO countries may follow, and vehicle accessories such as more of our rollover detection systems or RDWS. We currently have deployed approximately 1,500 Husky vehicle systems globally, so there's a continued opportunity to support these systems on an ongoing basis as evidenced by the recent contracts I mentioned. Regarding the results of the U.S. presidential election, equipment protection for soldiers receives normally strong bipartisan support, so we don't anticipate a significant change in our growth prospects. One example of this is the documented bipartisan support from Congress related to measuring soldiers' blast, exposure, uh, blast pressure exposure, which we believe provides an opportunity for wide-scale deployment of our blast gauge sensors in future years as the military looks to accelerate its efforts to prevent and treat PTSD and active duty personnel, as well with veterans. As it relates to our rubber solutions and engineered products, we saw meaningful recovery in these operations in the third quarter, with both segments seeing sustained recoveries that approached levels of over 85% of pre-COVID volumes as we approached the end of the quarter. Obviously, the full recovery in volumes and filling of the additional capacity we'd invested in depends partially on the stable and sustained reopening of businesses across North America, especially in the US. In the case of rubber solutions business, gross profits remain relatively stable year over year as we offset the lower volumes through careful management of overhead costs and supported by government-directed wage subsidies. Our long-term priorities here remain on growing this business as a supplier of choice in the consolidating North American market with a growing focus on building defensible leadership positions in select compounds. As it relates to our engineered product segment, Gross profits increased as we supported the rebounds in volume demanded by the automotive sector ahead of industry levels given our focus on SUV, light truck, and minivan platforms while managing variable costs. The engineered product segment also continued to provide surge capacity to produce products for AVG, including our PAPRs and other defense products. Airbus engineered products has also continued to focus on efficiency improvements with several new molding machines coming online as well as our new fully robotic work cell launching into full production mode. Additionally, we continue to focus on the diversification of our product lines into sectors adjacent to the automotive space. Before I pass on to Frank for a deep dive into our financials, I mentioned at the top our strong financial position and the ability to be opportunistic. We have had an exceptional year and have deleveraged our business enormously and now have a very solid balance sheet. Not every company has had the business diversification in place to succeed during this pandemic as we have, or they are hamstrung by an uncooperative debt-laden balance sheet or lack of access to capital. Therefore, we anticipate there will be opportunities to consolidate at more reasonable multiples than in the past. We have been clear that we will be opportunistic as it relates to M&A, which furthers our strategy, but diligent in the price that we will pay. 
We have not wavered from this approach. We have a healthy pipeline of targets and have been intently active in various M&A opportunities, and we will continue to be with a focus on adding new compounds and products, technical capabilities, and geographic regions to selected North American and international markets. With that, I will now pass the call over to Frank for the financial review. Frank? Thank you, Chris, and good morning, everyone. As a reminder, please note all dollar amounts presented are in U.S. currency except for dividends per share, which are Canadian dollars. As Chris mentioned, our strong improvement in financial performance in the third quarter over the same period in 2019 reflected ADG's successful delivery against a number of defense and government contracts, including the FEMA and HHS awards. On a consolidated basis, net sales for Q3 more than doubled to $163 million. This was largely due to ADG's performance and the addition of revenue from CSI supported by the pivot within engineered products to support the manufacturing of certain defense products, including PAPRs. Consolidated gross profit more than quadrupled to $46 million and doubled in margin to 28% driven by increased sales by ADG. And consolidated adjusted EBITDA grew sixfold to $37 million. Profit and adjusted profit attributable to the owners of the company was $11.6 million and $11.7 million respectively in Q3 or $0.47 cents per share. Turning to our individual segments, ADG net sales in Q3 increased to $108 million. The significant increase was primarily the result of the completion of the previously mentioned FEMA contract, commencement of the HHS contract, and supported by increased sales associated with other contracts. Gross profit in the second quarter was 37 million or 34% of sales from 22% in the same period of 2019, with the margin expansion due primarily to higher volumes associated with the new business, notably FEMA and HHS contracts. Net sales in the rubber solution segment decreased by 11% in Q3 to 30 million. Volume was down across the majority of sectors as a result of either full or partial shutdown of customers' operations due to the COVID-19 pandemic, though, as mentioned, there has been a continuing ramp-up of most customers' operations. Gross profit decreased 1% to $5 million for the quarter, primarily a result of decreased volumes. Margin was 16% of sales versus 15% in Q3 of 2019, due to the company managing overhead costs and supported by government-directed wage subsidies. Net sales in the engineered product segment increased 19% to $38 million, driven by the pivot to manufacturing defense products noted above, and year-over-year -year stability in its external sales. Gross profit was $3.7 million in Q3, an increase of 96% year-over-year, with margin expanding to 10% from 6% in Q3 of 2019 primarily a result of higher volumes and the additional defense product mix supported by operational cost containment and managing overhead costs. The segment saw a significant recovery in automotive sales compared to Q2 and was relatively stable to Q3 2019 despite the impact of COVID. CapEx was $4.2 million in Q3 and we currently expect an annual amount of approximately $13 million. Free cash flow was $14 million in Q3, Q3, essentially double Q3 2019, but the same as Q2 2020 due to primarily the timing of cash taxes. Net of the $1.2 million of dividends paid, that free cash flow enabled us to add another $13 million to our balance sheet. And as we noted, the free cash flow generation this year has enabled our net leverage ratio to drop from 1.85 times at the end of 2019 to 0.25 times at the end of Q3 2020. Our 60 million in credit facilities was undrawn at the end of September. The strong performance of ADG is facilitating accelerated payback of the $60 million vendor take back note with approximately an additional $15 million paid back in Q3 of 2020 and approximately 25 million already paid back as at September 30th. As it relates to ADG as noted, we acquired full ownership on October 26th and will be consolidating 100% of their bottom line results as of the date as attributable to shareholders. We were opportunistic in our acquisition of the minority interest, leveraging the fact that we have benefited financially this year. 
For our partners, we believe the ultimate outcome benefits them as well as they have a strategic position in the overall parent company, Airbus, thereby participating in the terminal value while receiving an immediate cash return on their investment as opposed to waiting three years and essentially more than doubling the investment in less than a year. We believe the consolidated ownership of ADG should also enable its true value to surface. As it relates to timing of contract recognition, a reminder that obviously we completed the FEMA contract in Q3, so that does not have a carryover into Q4. The HHS contract does continue and we anticipate the remaining PAPR systems to be delivered in Q4 and then delivery of the peripherals over Q1 and Q2 of 2021. Excluding the impact of these COVID-related contracts over the long term, our general aim continues to be to grow volumes in the double digits as we were doing pre-pandemic, while expanding our margins through continued operational efficiencies and complementing that with potential bolt-on M&A. We, like all of you, are hopeful a COVID vaccine will be ready in the near future. Notwithstanding, we believe the heightened importance of emergency preparedness, including maintaining domestic supply chains and strategic stockpiles, provides potential upside for any sharp ramp in the usage of our PAPRs or further large contracts from other governments and health agencies for PPE, along with other potential contracts in future years, such as for our defense products. In summary, we believe that our diversified business has provided ample evidence that it can succeed during a pandemic. While much of that was driven by ADG, if and when this pandemic comes to a close, that would obviously benefit our other segments as the economy rebounds. We have not been idle in these segments this year, and we have been developing new products and adding automation. We are currently running ahead of last year's levels, and we expect to build on that momentum and come out very strong as the pandemic dissipates. Operator, that concludes our prepared remarks for this morning. We would now like to open the call to questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. The first question is from Yuri Link from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys, and congratulations on a on a nice quarter. Um, morning. Just morning, Grant. Just wanted to to pick up a little bit on the on the conversation um, on on Airbus Defense Group. I mean, since since the the Q2 call, we've kind of entered a second wave here across uh, North America and Europe. Um, has the has quoting activity uh, changed at all in, in say the last uh, couple of months? Um, certainly, the noise level is picking up a little bit. Uh, we still haven't got any significant stockpiling orders other than the um, HHS order, which which we announced for fifty thousand. There really was never much of a lull between phase one and, and phase two of this pandemic, and uh, most of our customers are uh, still panicking and, and uh, trying to uh, sort out the record hospitalizations that are happening now as a result of, uh, of this uh, current wave, uh, so um, they haven't really got a chance to focus on stockpiling yet. Um, a lot you see there's a lot of articles in the in the press about uh, shortages of PPE everywhere. Uh, so um, we still anticipate that is to come. Uh, it is a, a, a sort of a different time in the in the um, in the, in the market, the uh, government uh, fiscal year ends September 30th, and with um, the change in administration uh, and uh, the 2021 budgets not having been passed yet, we probably don't anticipate 
big government orders until the same time frame that we got them last year, which was May and August. <coughs> um, however, internationally, uh, we're seeing uh, more interest. We're also, uh, as of this week, commencing a uh, online marketing program to uh, other target customers such as uh, you know, the general public, uh, dentists, uh, massage therapists, physiotherapists, anybody that has to wear a mask all day. Um, so uh, over the next couple months we're going to roll out a, uh, an aggressive online marketing program uh, to uh, non-government uh, potential customers. Okay, that's helpful. Um, second and last question for me. I, I just want to dig in a little bit on on the recurring revenue potential. Um, I think with with the FEMA and HH, HHS contracts, you'll have 150,000 or so tappers in the field. Um, how should we be thinking about the the recurring revenue potential of those tappers? And do you? I guess the the main variables here are, are the, the utilization of those poppers and are the users actually changing the filters when they're supposed to I mean you can get to some pretty big numbers so just wondering um, if you have any any incremental info on any of that to, so we can kind of square up what a what a recurring revenue number might look like for for that installed base um, unfortunately we don't really have much uh, good data yet there there's been a lot of um, issues uh, getting the pappers out of fema into the end user users hands and uh, and tracking that we're getting more every day and everybody that gets them uh, contacts us and we're doing online training uh, with them and they are buying replacement uh, filters and hoods but as far as we can tell, there still seems to be um, a bit of inefficiency in getting it uh, from FEMA out into the end user hands. Um, and then, of course, the uh, ongoing revenue and replacement revenue will depend on uh, how much they're used once they're in the end user's hands and whether they replace them, uh, the filters and hoods and things uh, as per recommendations of us and, and uh, CPC. Um, but it's something where, uh, we're, you know, we've put a, a task force uh, together internally to contact every user and keep in touch with them and offer them um, ongoing training and, and spare parts and, and more, more pappers. So that is slowly building, but uh, uh, if, if they were all in use, obviously that number would be very big, and we're not seeing that yet. Okay, that's fair. I better, I better turn it over there. Thanks, guys. The next question is from Scott Fromson from CIDC. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Yuri took all my good questions. So just a little bit of a housekeeping uh, question. Can you give us the amount of the uh, Canadian wage, wage subsidies in Q3? Yeah, it's uh, Frank here. Um, so they approximated uh, 950,000 uh, for our ARS rubber side, approximately 930,000 for the uh, Quebec operations, and then there was uh, another 100,000 for the uh, corporate operations. So just just under two million uh, all told U.S. dollars. Okay. And uh, can you? Uh, how is the rest of the ADG business going? Can you talk a bit about non-pandemic sales, military gas masks, boots, gloves, uh, etc.? You want to do that, Chris, or do you want me to do it? Sure, I can. I can take a stab at that, Scott. Uh, good morning. Um, as you saw from our recent press releases, we have been announcing quite um, frequently the awards uh, with boots, gloves, uh, huskies, and peripherals. 
Uh, and so the uh, non-pandemic side of our business is actually going quite strong. And I think what we're starting to see now in terms of quote activity, we're starting to see a lot of the traditional products that were uh, put into a holding pattern during this pandemic are starting to come back around again. So as we look into the uh, into the pipeline for 2021, we feel pretty optimistic that uh, our other product lines that were relatively quiet uh, for the first three quarters of 2020 are starting to come back in terms of a higher level of coding activity. So uh, our other products are, are doing are, are doing quite well, and we see uh, additional coding opportunities for 2021 now coming to the table. Would, would you expect those uh, activity levels to be in line with, say, Q, um, 2019, or, or, uh, or, or are they are they going to be lower or higher? No, I mean it depends on the product line, but I think we saw a um, a large demand for for Huskies in 2020, for example, that seemed to be being pushed into 2021. So, so we expect uh, product lines to be uh, uh, significantly better than what we saw in 19, uh, in 19. Okay. And uh, can you give us a bit of a update on the blast gauge? Uh, I think the last uh, 10,000 unit contract was, uh, I don't know, about four months ago or so. Um, is that, uh, is that program um, progressing as to your uh, expectations? Yeah, the, the blast gauge is getting uh, a lot of really positive attention right now. Um, there is a program of record uh, that we're working on with uh, with uh, SOCOM, which is a special operations people, um, and we're also working with the the general army as well. So um, the the blast gauges that are in the field are, are being tested. I mean, the blast gauges themselves are, are running well. It's more the the military personnel working with how to manage the data and what to do with the data and, and, and you know, how to manage the whole infrastructure around that. So um, we are seeing, uh, I'd say, quite an increased uh, interest in accelerating uh, the deployment of the blast gauge. The trials are going very well. And now we have two different major uh, parts of the military that are, that are uh, you know, uh, looking at actually making a program of record that we have the most advanced product to be able to assign to it. Um, and we're also getting international interest too. We have several international customers that have contacted us and we're uh, doing smaller scale trials with them as well. So we are getting more and more optimistic on the blast gauge and, and we think that, um, you know, we're going to start seeing uh, probably towards the end of 21 and early into 22, some, uh, you know, good news on the on the ramp up there. That's great. Thanks, Chris. I'll turn it over. The next question is from David Ocampo from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. So you guys have done a pretty tremendous job delivering the balance sheet here over the last year or so as you, you fulfilled your contracts. And, and acquisitions appear to be a pillar of your strategy. So, so with that in mind, how much leverage are you guys comfortable with uh, putting on the balance sheet, and I, I know you flag bolt-on acquisitions, but could there be some chunky deals done as well? Um, general comment is I hate debt, but but um, we have uh, in the past gone up to uh, around the three and a half times uh, debt to EBITDA level for acquisitions um, and I don't mind going up to those kinds of levels uh, for the short term to do an acquisition as long as you can see a path to uh, rapidly delivering uh, afterwards. Okay and Frank just some housekeeping questions here. When I look at engineered products, it looks like there's a bit of defense sales and EBITDA baked into there. Can you provide uh, a little bit of more clarity on that? I'm just trying to get a better sense on the apples to apples comparison within the segment. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the automotive sales uh, were roughly in line with what they were uh, for uh, Q3 of 2019. And I'd say the defense sales in Q3 
represented uh, about uh, 20%, 25% of the total sales that were reported for the segment. Okay, and I'm assuming the EBITDA margins are, are roughly in line with what the defense margins are on that 20%. Correct. That's in the range. Okay, and then the uh, last one for me here, just on the, the VTB, it looks like there's still a little bit left to do there. It, does this essentially get eliminated on, on the acquisition of, of CSI, or does that adjust the purchase price for you guys? No, it it was always uh, eliminated. It's just now between uh, one company within the organization owed to the parent. So, again, it's just moving cash from one account to another. So, it, it essentially uh, does continue to get eliminated. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. The next question is from Tim James from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Good, good morning. Um, just a question first, uh, I guess, here for Frank. Um, what caused the, um, the depreciation and amortization in the third quarter to increase fairly significantly sequentially relative to Q2 um, in, in both uh, in defense in particular, but also in engineered products? Yeah, I think, again, it's some of the uh, uh, new equipment that uh, we brought in that's now, uh, you know, in production, and obviously the depreciation is kicking off for that, is driving a good chunk of that, uh, Tim? So is that, because I noticed that, like, the PP&E balance didn't change all that much at the end of Q3, I was, sort of would have thought it would have jumped up, but is that... Uh, I, I think it was the timing, uh, the timing of when we uh, introduced the uh, robotic machine, which really started uh, uh, just towards, uh, I guess, middle end of, of September. Um, from that perspective, and then we've also been, uh, you know, as, as was disclosed in the notes, uh, we we had some retirement of assets from AFP uh, uh, in order to make room for new uh, capacity that'll be coming online. Okay. So are the are the Q3 DNA um, uh, expenses reasonably good proxies for kind of going forward then? Yes, I would say so. Okay. Um, then um, I'm just thinking about the, the work, the defense product work that's being done in, in the, the Michigan facility. How much longer do you think that... Uh, will be carried out there? Um, or, I mean, are we talking sort of another four quarters, one quarter? Um, and, and then just any comments you can provide on on the impact uh, on the margin once that business does cease to be completed there? Or is that something that could be, or at this point you see as being permanent? Um, I think, Tim, when it comes to PAPR production, uh, we've completed the PAPR production uh, in Auburn Hills for the for the moment. If there would be uh, a new PAPR order, uh, we basically when we when we did the FEMA PAPR production, we had four different facilities uh, running the PAPRs uh, because of the sheer scale of what we were doing and the fact that we had not yet uh, introduced all of our efficiency improvements in order to get the uh, the productivity rates up, uh, given that we had a very short time window to get this thing done. But when we went to the HHS contract, we focused the production on our Landover, Maryland facility, which is an ADG facility, and Airbus engineered products in, in Auburn Hills. So those two facilities are going to be our go-to facilities for uh, PAPR production going forward. So in, in, the, uh, in the event that we have another major stockpiling order or emergency response order, then both those facilities have their assembly lines ready to go. They'll both uh, jump in and start production. Um, in terms of other defense products, we are we are molding our, our rubber uh, products in uh, Airbus engineered products right now for a current uh, U.S. order as well as some international orders. And uh, the U.S. order right now, as the, the current order that we have on the books right now, should last another three quarters. But we expect those orders to be re-upped. So, in a sense, uh, particularly for the U.S. military. Uh, we feel that uh, the production of rubber goods for the U.S. military will stay in Auburn Hills. Okay. Um, and then just, there was a comment earlier about a healthy um, um, pipeline 
of product opportunities. Was that in relation to just defense specifically or, or Airbus overall? I'm sorry, I missed the, the kind of the context of that comment. The question was specifically related to defense, but I'm glad you asked your question in the way that you did, because it's been uh, it's been quite uh, a good product development cycle for both engineered products and for Airbus Rubber Solutions uh, during this pandemic. Um, you, as you recall, we've really focused on uh, innovation. We've expanded our uh, our research facilities, and we are continuing to work with new customers uh, and bringing them on board and scaling them up. We've really uh, staffed up our, uh, our R&D technical people in, in the other two uh, segments. And uh, the product development that's going on now, I think, allows us to be very optimistic that coming out of this uh, pandemic, that we're gonna be in a strong position to scale up with, with new customers, with new products that we didn't have going into the pandemic. So from that perspective, uh, we're pretty optimistic uh, on all three of our businesses going forward. Okay, thank you. And then just my last question, again, I apologize, it's a bit of a clarification. Um, Gren, you were mentioning about not expecting any sort of big government orders, um, and forgive me if I'm if I'm incorrectly kind of repeating what you said, but uh, until, in, from the U.S., that is, I think until kind of the May-August timeframe of next year, kind of similar to what happened this year, and that's due to, to budgets and, and the White House and what have you. Was that just in reference to sort of pandemic-related PPE orders, or, or what was that in reference to specifically? Uh, I think that's pretty much general, uh, Tim. I mean, they they, um, they can't order until a budget is passed, and uh, uh, I'm not positive on this, but I don't think one will be passed before. Uh, uh, the inauguration in uh, January. So, um, I mean, there's lots of talk, but uh, typically they don't uh, give you an order for a budget uh, that hasn't been passed yet. Now, you know, the the proposed defense budgets are still very, very strong, and I don't, and I, and I think they've got bipartisan support. Um, so I, I don't anticipate any. Uh, any issues like we had uh, <clears throat> a few years ago with uh, sequestration, et cetera. But um, uh, typically you get orders in the first quarter with, with budgets that are passed in December or January. Uh, but this year that's going to be a little later because of the uh, inauguration. And then typically you get another surge uh, just before the end of September. So in August and September, as they uh, allocate uns unspent funds that have been approved. But do you feel there's so, no opportunity for... Sorry, go ahead. Sir. Yeah, so I think to the extent that it's government funding uh, that's driving the, um, the orders, I'm not anticipating that we're going to get anything until, uh, until the budget's passed. I mean, uh, we may get dribs and drabs, but I don't think it's, you're going to see $100 million or anything like that come. Okay, and, and that applies to potential additional PAPR orders if they were needed, or, or what about the sort of well, the, there's the ongoing demand for filters and sort of aftermarket parts for those that equipment that's in the field? No, no, for the like for the day-to-day -day ongoing demand for filters and things like that, uh, but those are typically not... So the government... FEMA bought the razor, or they bought the pappers, but once the hospitals own the pappers, they're responsible for um, for ordering uh, replacement filters, et cetera. So that, that's a different budget, and that comes out of the, that's a non-government budget. Right, okay, that's helpful. I just wanted to, to make sure my understanding of that was correct. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's still, there are still emergency funds around. So if this pandemic, which is currently at record uh, hospitalizations, if it gets out of control, uh, there's still there is a possibility that we will get something before that out of out of emergency funds. But um, what I was saying is I haven't seen um, 
the stockpiling budgets being approved yet. It doesn't mean that they haven't been or that there isn't some money there, but I just haven't seen it yet. So, uh, you know, as we've mentioned before, um, we believe that ultimately many, many government organizations from National Guard, Army Corps of Engineers, uh, CDC, WHO, all those people, um, down to the local levels uh, and state levels, will um, uh, will will purchase stockpiles. Additionally, you know, there's other uh, customer targets. Like we've got several European uh, countries that we're working with. Uh, we're trying very hard to get Canada to buy some, although Canada hasn't bought one yet, uh, and Canada um, has got uh, more infections, uh, more uh, more cases per capita of health healthcare workers than uh, than the U.S. does by quite a bit, um, even though the uh, infection rates in Canada are below the U.S. The uh, Healthcare workers, and there's been quite a bit in the press recently about nurses and uh, and doctors uh, being really short of PPE. So uh, those are uh, those are potential customers that we we could get sooner. Okay, that that's um, that's helpful. Thank you very much. The next question is from Anthony Prost of Stiefel GMP. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning and congrats on the strong performance. Uh, I just wanted to confirm a few items for modeling purposes. Uh, first off, uh, the level of visibility you have for rubber solutions and engineered product segments. Uh, so you indicated that Q3 numbers were roughly 85% of prior year levels. Do you have any sense where this will get to in the coming quarters? Uh, I mean, earlier in the call, it was mentioned that auto sales were roughly flat year over year. Uh, and just, just wanted to get a little bit of idea of what we can expect in, in Q4 and Q1. Yeah, I think uh, if we look uh, going into Q4, we're already at levels that are ahead of uh, Q4 last year in terms of volume. So that's, I think, the basis for our optimism as we come out of this pandemic. Uh, as we re As related to Q3, we saw, we saw the ramp up starting towards the end of Q3, um, and then going into Q4, that ramp up continued, and now we're in a position where uh, we are actually ahead of where we were in Q4 last year. All right, perfect, thank you. Uh, and uh, follow up. Uh, so you announced a few new contract wins in the last few months, uh, like the 35 million for uh, Husky orders and 22 million for portfolio products across the fence. Uh, should we expect the margins for these new contracts? Uh, to be closer to the historical defense EBITDA margin of roughly 20% rather than the 70 percent we've seen in recent quarters? Uh, and also, can you confirm the uh, timelines for revenue contribution from these wins? Yeah, I think, um, you know, from a historical perspective, you know, give or take a little bit, the, the margins are sort of in line with what we've seen historically. Uh, as for timing, um, maybe I'll ask Chris just to... Yeah, it, de it depends on, on which product we're referring to. Um, the, the Husky 2G uh, extended contract, uh, that's going to be extended over two years. Um, but we're not sure exactly uh, when the, the revenue will be recognized there, if it's going to be uh, back-end loaded or front-end loaded. Um, the, the order for UAE that we announced should start production uh, relatively soon. So that revenue should start coming in uh, early in 2021. So it really depends on the program that uh, you're referring to, but um, we are, are certainly seeing some revenue come in quickly and others kind of stretched over a couple of years. All right, thank you. That's all for me. Next is a follow-up from Yuri Link from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Thanks. I just want to go back to the to the DNA discussion uh, for some clarity. I, I thought that the DNA was was higher sequentially because of um, in, impairment charges of about 2.7. Um, is that not is that not the case? Yeah, as I mentioned uh, for the latter part, 
there was um, <clears throat> some write-offs of some uh, retired assets uh, that related uh, uh, to AFP as we uh, get ready to bring in some new automation. And then there were some intangibles uh, related to uh, prior portfolio products in the survivability platform that are no longer uh, sort of viewed in sort of the pipeline. And so that was also uh, written off as disclosed in the notes uh, for approximately $2 million. But then there was additional, uh, some small capex that started kicking in towards the end of the quarter, which we'll see more wholesome depreciation as we move uh, into Q4. Right, but the, you know, going from 4 million in Q2 to 8.4 in Q3, I mean, 8.4 is is boosted by these impairments. So it's not a good go forward run rate, right? No, not with the one-time adjustments that are related to the impairments. Those those should be leveled out. Yeah, good. Okay, thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Chris Bitsakakis for any closing remarks. Uh, thank you, operator. And thank you again, everyone, for attending this morning's call. We are proud of how we performed this year. And I want to thank all of our employees across the organization for this. We are excited about the future of the company going forward, and we look forward to updating you at our next call. Until then, we hope you're all keeping safe and well. Goodbye and thanks again. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.